What does it sound like in the forest? The whole sense of the forest is, is of a very wet place. And it's also got that very rich, earthy smell. Beautiful place. Takes a bit of work to see it, but that work's worth it. Today on Off Track, an audio tour of a place and a time. Anne Jones is my name and I'm just along for the ride today because David Lindenmeyer is the guide and he's taking us into the bush in the upper Yarra catchment in Victoria. It's in the mountains where runoff joins streams, then creeks and then the big river. Lindenmeyer is a professor of ecology at the Australian National University and he's spent over 30 years studying in this area. And today we're the beneficiaries of those years in the bush. Professor Lyndon Mayer is going to guide us through the dusk shift change in the mountain ash forest when the forest moves from day into night. So we're in the, in the mountain ash forest of the central highlands of Victoria and we're in a stand of 75-year-old trees, mountain ash trees that regenerated after the 1939 fires. So the forest around us, trees are about 60, 65 metres tall. And on the forest floor, there are lots of large logs, lots of tree ferns, lots of hardwater ferns, a lot of moss, leaf litter that's probably 30, 40 centimetres deep. Very dense shrub layer, very dense ground cover layer. Takes a lot of work to walk, even just 15, 20 metres. And a lot of noise too. It's a bit of a bush bash to start with, but then you get your forest legs so that you're able to roll with the bush and, and be able to, to move from one place to the next. This forest gets a couple of metres of rain per year, which means that uh, you know it's a very productive place. A lot of things growing very quickly. Uh, you know, these are some of the fastest growing trees anywhere on the planet. And these trees, if they weren't logged, or they weren't burnt, would eventually become the tallest flowering trees in the world. Most people would be familiar with, with, with what's called the dawn chorus, which is a very special time of the, of the morning when all the birds start singing. They're all telling one another that they made it through the night. And then they're all telling each other that this is my territory and I know where your territory is. But there's lots, lots of other messages going on with the calls, particularly with the male birds, that the amount of calling that you do is a reflection of how much energy you have. And how much energy that you have is a function of how productive your territory is. And that's a signal to a female that, oh, this, this bloke's fit and he lives in a good place and it's probably the right place for me to have my babies. So the female is making a judgment about the male's fitness based on his calling ability. 
So that's really what's going on with the dawn chorus. And a similar thing happens at dusk. And what we see that's very special in the mountain ash forest is this wonderful dusk chorus where the birds are calling before there's an extraordinary change in the light. It's this long dusk period. I've loved sitting through that dusk period right and through to the early evening for most of the last 30 years of my life. It's something I miss a lot when I'm in the city and it's something I love a lot when I'm in the forest. And it allows me to connect with the forest but it also is a time when a lot of my scientific ideas sort of come to fruition and, and often I have my little yellow waterproof notebook that needs to be filled up with ideas and, and you can hear the different animals. They often make quite different calls at dusk than they do uh, at other times of the day. The classic for, for that is the eastern yellow robin, which makes a special call right, right in that, that dusk shift time. The eastern yellow robin's an intriguing bird. It's an animal that's one of those last birds to call in the evening. So there's a little mixture of things that always want to have the last word. The lyrebird's one, the kookaburra is another, and the eastern yellow robin and the pilot bird are two others. And the eastern yellow robin just has this, this interesting little churring call. Now it's an animal perhaps about two-thirds the size of someone's hand, and it has this really quite striking yellow chest and body. And on the back it's sort of this sort of grey colour, gunmetal grey colour. And, and often you'll just see a little flash of yellow in the forest and then it stops with this in, ridiculous perching pattern on the side of a trunk of a tree and it'll watch you, particularly if you're moving slowly through the forest and, and you might kick up a few leaves as you're walking along and then pounce. It'll be right there at your feet on whatever it is that you've stirred up, being a, be a butterfly or a, or, or a moth or some insect on the ground, it'll be there to pounce on it. They're very common in the mountain ash forest. And the, the eastern yellow robin really is a special bird because of the way that we hear it in this dusk chorus and its, and its intriguing uh, watchful behaviour as we're sitting in the forest and watching what's happening. One of my favourite birds in the mountain ash forest, ever since I started working there, is the pilot bird. It has this wonderful eho see a week call, eho see a week. This is often how um, socially maladjusted bird watchers remember some of these calls. Eho see a week. I just so love this call that I, it used to be my ringtone on my phone, which my, um, my workmates thought was ridiculous. And, and it, was, it was actually named the pilot bird because it was thought to be piloting the lyrebird around the forest. The reality is what happens is that as the lyrebird is foraging on the ground, moving leaf litter, it's dislodging lots of other things that it likes to eat. And what happens is that this bird makes this wonderful call for two reasons. One is to maintain its territory, but the other one is to maintain the, the links with its, its mate. These small bush birds live many, many years, often in the same place, year after year after year after year. And 
these calls are a way to indicate that they own the territory. It's to connect with their mate within the territory, but also indicate to their neighbours that this is my territory. I know where you are, you know where I am. It's, it's uh, in the bird world, it's called the deer enemy hypothesis. You actually, it's good to know who your enemy is. It's not really your enemy, it's just the, the neighbour really. And you, you talk to them regularly and, and the way to do that is through this beautiful call. Despite its beautiful call, it's actually quite a nondescript little creature, sort of a what we call an LBJ, a little brown job. I think the most spectacular thing is it's not its paint job, it's actually its voice box. And, and it really just is a spectacular sound in the forest and one that we hear regularly at dusk. The machine gun bird, that's Lewin's honey eater. It's got a serious case of sort of irritable male syndrome. They, they're very aggressive. A lot of Australian honey eaters are very aggressive and very grumpy. And they tend to chase each other around a lot. And Lewin's honey eaters just classically fits the mould. And it has a special way of feeding as well. It also likes to work around the trunks of trees and work upwards as it's, as it's hunting for insects and, and looking for food. And it also has quite a, a special set of markings, like a big yellow ear behind the top of its head. So it's, it's a wonderful bird. The, dis the most distinctive thing about it, and most people will hear them without seeing them, is it's got this sort of rapid fire sound, which sounds like a machine gun. It's the call that it uses to indicate that I'm a Lewin's honey eater. Uh, this is my territory. I'm talking to my partner, who's also a Lewin's honey eater, and I'm talking to my neighbours that might be Lewin's honey eaters. And I'm calling a lot, and so I'm a male bird in good condition because I've got lots of energy. I'm in a good territory. Listen to me sing. The more I sing, the fitter I am. This is the place to be. <laughs> My name's David Lyndon Meyer. I'm an ecologist and I've worked in the Mount Nash Forest of Victoria for 31 years. One of the great contrasts that you see in, in the Mount Nash Forest is it's mostly green, but mixed into the green is, is this uh, beautiful red and blue parrot, the crimson rosella. And sometimes it's called a mountain lowry because it's mostly common in this higher, wetter country. It's, it's quite mobile, and interestingly, even after the 2009 fires, probably because of its mobility, it didn't seem to, to take the big hit that most of the other bird species did. In fact, we found no evidence that it essentially had changed very much at all in its abundance compared to many of the other bird species. The crimson rosella nests in a hollow. It needs big, large old trees and it just adds a beautiful colour contrast to, in this forest. Red and, and beautiful red crimson colour with its blue crossed against the green background of this, this stunning forest. We'll be sitting quietly in, in the forest across that dust period and, and it's all very quiet and very still and the next thing we'll, we'll see 10 or 12 crimson rosellas fly in as a group mixture of adults and usually a, a much bigger group of raucous teenagers, sounds familiar, and, and they'll make lots of squawking and clattering and, and chattering.
for, for quite a long period of time and, and sometimes they'll end up roosting in the site. Sometimes they'll just pick up, move on somewhere else and make lots of noise in another part of the forest. <laughs> One of the most common human sounds in this forest is the sound of logging trucks hauling timber. Wood. Timber. Paper. About 80% by volume of everything cut and taken out of the forest is made into paper. High volume, low value paper products that have very low periods in the carbon cycle before they end up in landfill. The major human impact in these forests is extensive industrial clear felling and people need to be aware that roughly 50% of the mountain ash forest has been logged most of it in the last 30 to 40 years and almost all of that in the last 30 to 40 years has been clear felled the logging process in these forests is very intensive and it's been very extensive and it's been very widespread and it's comprehensively changed this ecosystem and had big impacts on much of the fauna, including the birds. It will be 200 years before the large old trees are recruited back into the system. That's if it's not logged in that 200 years, or if it doesn't burn in that 200 years. The vast majority of trees in these forests will never reach an age where they begin to develop hollows. Hollows in Australian trees take at least a hundred, if not many hundreds of years to form. It's a very long, slow process because we don't have animals like woodpeckers that, that accelerate the hollow development process. It means that areas of forest that are logged become unsuitable habitat. Australia has more hollow-dwelling species than any other country in the world. Today on Off Track, we're listening to the sounds of the mountain ash forest in Victoria. Mountain ash are the tallest flowering plant in the world, and the stand that we're in is not yet fully grown. They're about 65 metres tall at the moment. David Lindenmeyer is guiding us through this forest he spent most of his adult life studying this place and he's describing the shift change where the sounds of the day give way to the sounds of the night. What happens is that the number of calls reduces, the time between the calls starts to increase, the number of species that calls declines, 
until you're just left with this little handful of birds and an occasional call from the kookaburra, a distant call from a lyrebird, a close call from the, from the eastern yellow robin or the pilot bird. Often in the background in that sort of late stage of dusk, the, uh, the catedids, the sort of like tree crickets and, and some of these, these, uh, these kinds of insects start calling as well. And then it's clear that you're starting that transition into the, into the late dusk and early evening stage. And that's, that's the stage when you start to hear things like uh, agile antichinus and bush rats scrambling in, on the forest floor. And if you're lucky, on certain sites you'll hear bandicoots sneezing. Then this process starts where the smaller possums begin to get active. It's always a smaller species that, be, that become active first. And then the slightly larger ones, like the sugar glider and Leibetis possum. And then right at the end of the process, the, the, the very large animals, the mountain brush-tail possum, which weighs about three kilos, and the greater glider, which weighs about one and a half kilos, they're, they're beginning to be getting active. These are animals that um, add to this sort of extraordinary diversity of, of mammals that, are, that occur in this wonderful forest. And they've, they, they nest in different kinds of trees and they also emerge at different parts of the night. So in a way, it's kind of a way to, to share the night amongst these different species, but to also share the nesting resource, which is a critical part of how they make a living in this environment. One of the most remarkable calls of all time in the Australian landscape would have to be the yellow belly glider. This animal sounds like nothing you've ever heard before. It's a cross between a frothing cappuccino machine and a squealing pig. I know that's hard to imagine, but that's about the best approximation that we can come up with. And it is an extraordinary animal. It, it weighs about 650 grams and has this beautiful fluffy fur, a long tail, and it's, and it's the most vocal of all of Australia's possums and gliders. And it makes these incredibly loud calls that can be heard over huge distances. And there's lots of reasons for that. One is that it's actually a colonial and very social animal. And so these gliders are talking to one another but they're calling to one another over large distances and they have very, very large home ranges. These animals move over 30 to 60 hectares. And the reason that they have such large home ranges is that they have a very specialised diet, primarily of eucalypt sap. And they only tap some trees to get their food. So they have to move around these large home ranges to find the right trees to tap. And it's a pretty miserable diet. You have to do a lot of work to cut through the outer bark to get something which has very low sort of nutrient values and often has that sap has properties not unlike sort of things like cyanide. Plus, the process of getting access to that sap means that you wear your teeth down pretty quickly and most yellow belly gliders basically won't last more than five to six years because essentially their teeth are done. It often calls when it's gliding. And these glides are remarkable. These, these animals can change directions many times during a single glide, and they can glide up to 60, 80, and even 100 metres. And then their whole body design is 
geared to deal with these incredible gliders. So the female gliders have these special reinforced pouches because when they hit the tree that they're gliding onto, they don't want to end up with uh, brain-damaged pouch young. So they've got all these amazing adaptations to deal with this extraordinary lifestyle that they have. It's a remarkable Australian animal. It truly is. And it's matched by this remarkable call. A Leadbeater's possum weighs about 120 grams. So to give you an idea, you go to your fridge and pick out a 500 gram container of margarine. So about three to four Leadbeater's possums will make up one container of margarine. It's an animal you often don't hear in the forest very much unless there's something seriously grumpy going on. These animals are quite grumpy and they actively defend their territories. They're utterly fearless. And I actually have a small scar between uh, my right and left eye where I was attacked by a Leadbeater's possum. The spunk and the, the bravery uh, of this animal, I think, is, is remarkable. And this, there's a, a scratching call that they make, particularly if one of the colony members is under attack. That was the alarm call. So there was clearly an owl in that area. And, and my suspicion is that there was obviously an altercation between an owl and a member of the colony, and the, the member of the colony called for reinforcements to, uh, to, get, to get rid of the source of the threat. So the, the interesting thing in, in the life and times of possum and glider world is that the smaller you are, the more energy you lose through heat loss. And the way that you compensate for doing that is to make a nest and also huddle together as a group. And so that's one of the ways that these small possums and gliders survive, particularly the cold environments like the ones in the mountain ash forest, and that's getting together and hanging out as a group. The key thing in Leadbeater's possum's case is that it's dominated by an adult female and she rules the roost in all respects. So she drives her daughters out, she chooses who she mates with, she chooses who she doesn't like and she'll boot them out of the territory and she is queen, she's boss, she does a lot of the calling and that's just the way it is. Marvellous creature. There is another world out there and one that um, the vast majority of people have had no idea about. Is the forest ever silent? In 30 years I've never heard the forest silent, except, except in recently logged areas. David Lindenmeyer, ecologist and conservation scientist, talking about one of his loves and his obsessions, 
the mountain ash forests of the Upper Yarra catchment in Victoria. Do you listen to the evening shift change at your place? Maybe the Maggies echoing across the yard, maybe a kookaburra, some bats. Why don't you record the sounds and send them to me off track at abc.net.au. That's my email address, off track at abc.net.au. It's easy to record sounds on your smartphones and I am making a program that's made up entirely of the sounds that you send me. It doesn't seem right to talk to you to end this off after we've spent all this time listening to the forest. So let's finish off this program with the sounds of the dusk chorus, the evening shift change in the mountain ash forests in Victoria. I'm Ann Jones and put the torch on charge and fill up the water bottle because next week on Off Track, I'll take you somewhere else.